Oh, good morning. This is a chance for the guys to make sure the microphone's working. Is it working? Too loud? Okay. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so great, you are so good, it's so good to be in your house and to be with our friends, and uh, just pray this morning that uh, we can have humble hearts that are receptive to hear your word, pray that your Holy Spirit will be working inside of us to, to open our hearts and our minds to, to your truth as expressed in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, as I uh, think about getting started so many, so many things to say. So many things to say. I got, got done with the first service and uh, uh, told Mike. I said, you know, there's about six or eight things I just completely left out. You know, so, so the first service, you know, has to be done by ten thirty, ten forty five, so we can come in. But fortunately, we don't have a time limit. So, <laughs> no, I promise. <laughs> I promise. I, I will. I will get us out of here on time. Um, you know, we, we do need to be humble when we come to, uh, to looking at the Word of God. And when I think about humility, uh, I always think about the story of the lion. You know, the lion's the king of the jungle, and uh, one morning he was feeling his oats, and the lion went out into the jungle, and he, he wanted to ask the other animals, who's the king of the jungle? And he went up to the zebra, and he said, who's the king of the jungle? And the zebra said, you are, O lion. He, he went further, and he came to the giraffe, said, you, who's the king of the jungle? He said, you are, O lion. He, he went to the monkey, who's the king of the jungle? You are, O lion. And he kept walking along. He came to the elephant. And he said, who's the king of the jungle? The elephant just stood there. He says, uh, he says who's the king of the jungle? And still, the elephant just stood there. He said, I'm going to ask you one last time, who is the king of the jungle? And at that point, the elephant reached down with his trunk, and he grabbed the lion, he tossed him up in the air. The lion hit the ground with a thumb. Elephant came over, stepped on him a couple of times, picked him up with his trunk again, twirled him around a couple of times, threw him against the tree. Lion got up slowly and said, well, he says, just because you're embarrassed about not knowing the answer, you don't have to get mad about it. <laughs> so, so we, we need to be, I think we need to be humble like the lion need to be a little bit humble when we come to God's word to, to get his answers for our lives. Uh, uh, we have some, a lot of material to get through, and uh, we won't get through everything on the outline, and, 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 and that's why you have an outline you could take at home. If we had a life good group this week, you could discuss the points we didn't get to. But I want to talk first, just briefly, as briefly as I can, about the background of the book of Colossians. I've, I've got down here, author, date, people, places. And I, I have a map here from the NIV study Bible of Paul's third missionary journey, which took place roughly A.D. 53 to 57, and it shows there the uh, Asia Minor, what today we call Turkey. And you can see that Paul started off from Antioch in Syria, there at the, the northwest corner of the Mediterranean Sea. He traveled inland uh, through Asia Minor, towns Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Pisidian, Antioch, the churches that he founded on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. And he, he goes through and he gets to Ephesus on the, on the western coast there of Asia Minor, the western coast of, uh, of Turkey today. And on his third missionary journey, A.D. 53, 54, 55, he spent over two years in Ephesus 
uh, preaching and teaching there. In fact, the, the book of Acts, uh, Acts 19, Acts 19, about verse uh, 10, says, This went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Uh, you notice Paul's route did not go through Colossae. You can see Colossae there about 100 miles east of Ephesus. But while Paul was in Ephesus during his third missionary journey, he must have uh, converted a man named Epaphras. And Epaphras went out, others of his went out and preached in Asia. And Epaphras was the one who started the church in Colossae. And so when you read the book of Colossians, and he starts off, you know, thanking God for the Colossians and all the thing, good things he's heard about them. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 7 says, You learn the gospel from Epaphras, our fellow servant, who's a faithful minister. Uh, and then later on in Colossians 4, he talks about another uh, person uh, from Colossae, Tychicus. My wife and I discussed all day yesterday how to pronounce Tychicus, and I'm still getting it wrong. But Colossians 4, verse 7, Tychicus, Paul writes to them, says, will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, fellow servant of the Lord. I'm sending him to you with this letter to you so that you may know about our circumstances. Well, here I see I've, I'm talking about our circumstances. What is Paul's circumstances? Paul is writing this letter from prison. He is in Rome. He's under house arrest in Rome. After Paul's third missionary journey ended in AD 57 or so, he went back to Jerusalem. And there he was arrested, and he was held in prison. He was transferred from Jerusalem to Caesarea and was held in prison for about two years. He appealed to Rome and then was taken. You read in Acts 27 about that exciting boat ride and the shipwreck on Malta. And eventually he got to Rome, and he was held in prison in Rome under house arrest. He was in a rented house, but he was chained to a Roman soldier and, and, and different Roman soldiers in, in succession. What an opportunity to minister. He kept preaching to every one of those guys. <laughs> uh, uh, so while he was in, this, this occurred about AD 60, 61, 62, for about a two-year period at the end of the book of Acts, uh, we know that Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And, he, and during that time, he wrote what are appropriately enough called the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And we know that, that Ephesians, which we just learned about last week, was, was taken from, from Paul where he was in prison in Rome about AD 61 to Ephesus by this same Tychicus character. The end of Ephesians says very similar verses at the end of Ephesians. Tychicus will call you all, tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you. So we know that both Colossians and Ephesians were taken uh, from Rome after being written by Paul by Tychicus. And who was Tychicus's traveling companion on that long, several hundred mile journey from Rome back over to Asia Minor to Ephesus and Colossae? Well, his traveling companion was, you look at Colossians 4 verse 9, Tychicus is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. And who's Onesimus? Onesimus is the runaway slave in the book of Philemon. So they were carrying not just two letters, but the third letter, the letter of Philemon. Onesimus was taking the letter Paul wrote to Philemon saying, take back your runaway slave Onesimus. 
I mean, here Onesimus ran away. He thought, I'll go. They'll never find me in Rome. What does he do in Rome? He meets Paul. He's converted to Christ, and Paul sends him back to his master, but this time not as a servant, but as a beloved son. Uh, Onesimus is a play on words. It means useful. Now he's useful uh, to you and to me. So those are some of the characters. Uh, Tychicus, Onesimus. um, We don't have... I just want to mention Mark. If you, uh, when Paul writes here, uh, verse 10, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus. Aristarchus is mentioned in, in the book of Acts. He was with Paul when the Ephesians rioted. Uh, and it's very exciting, but he's, he's with Paul here in Rome. Uh, Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And we know Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on Paul's first missionary journey. And halfway through that first missionary journey, what did he do? And Vernon McGee's unforgettable phrase, he went home to mama. <laughs> and Paul was very upset, and Barnabas and, and, and Paul went on together. Well, well here, uh, on, when Paul was getting ready to go on the second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take Mark along with them again, and Paul absolutely refused. He, he, he deserted us the first time. And it says they had such a sharp disagreement, they parted company. That's such a fascinating verse in Acts. Barnabas and Paul had ministered together 14, maybe going on 20 years together. They'd gone, and they separated. Uh, and, and, and Barnabas took Mark with him and went to Cyprus, and Paul went with Silas on the second missionary journey. But here, uh, several years after that, Mark and Paul are reconciled. And you talk about all things working together for good for those who love God, who's called according to their pur- his purpose. This was a great disagreement, but it probably led to splitting up the effective missionary team of Barnabas and Paul. Effective missionary work happened with Barnabas and Mark, and Mark went on to write the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Great things. Just also want to mention in passing Luke, uh, verse 14. The NIV says, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, the New King James Version is better, the beloved physician Luke. One of Paul's traveling companions, probably he met him in Antioch, uh, wrote the book of Acts, wrote the Gospel of Luke. So these are some of the people. Well, let's, if we get into the historical background, we'll never get out of here. So let's get on to the meat, the meat. And the meat in Colossians is the supremacy of Christ. Christ is a- absolutely preeminent. He's number one. Um, hopefully, uh, you think, what does supreme mean? We have a supreme court well, the Supreme Court is, we have many courts in this land, but it's the Supreme Court. But Christ's supremacy, as philosophers would like to say, it's a difference in kind, not degree. Christ's supremacy is, he's above and beyond anything we can imagine or think. He's, 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 he is God in the flesh. And let's look at what Colossians has to say in Colossians chapter 1. Before we get started... You know, this whole year, we're looking at the New Testament. We're going, you know, spending some time in some books, going through other books more quickly. But if you're getting a, a bird's eye view of the New Testament and want to say, where does the New Testament tell me about Jesus? This is one of the main places the New Testament tells us about who Jesus is and what he is like. The others are the first chapter of the Gospel of John and the first chapter of the letter to the Hebrews. Those are the three great chapters that tell us 
who Jesus is, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, very God of very God. Well, let's learn about him here. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. The second person of the Godhead is how God the Father, who's invisible, makes himself known to us. Uh, John 1, verse 18, John writes, No one has ever seen the Father, but Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the one and only, he has made him known to us. John uh, 14, verse 9, Jesus was telling the disciples, he's, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And Philip asks, well, yes, if you just show us the Father, we'll understand. Philip says what to him in John 14, 9? Philip Have you been with me so long and you don't know me? Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So we know that the God who made heaven and earth, uh, we can't see him, but we can see how he presents himself to us in the second person of the Godhead, Jesus, his son. He's the image of the invisible God. Um, Verse 15 goes on to say, the firstborn over all creation. Uh, and he goes on to say, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things were created by him and before him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I want to go back to where it said the firstborn over all creation, because our Mormon and our Jehovah's Witness friends make a significant mistake when they look at Jesus, they say, well, Jesus was created. He was the very first created being. And then as the very first created being, he created everything else. And that's not what the Bible says. It says, by him, all things were created. He is before all things. Before anything was created, Jesus was with God. The Gospel of John starts off with what? In the beginning was the Word. Jesus was before all beginnings. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's a distinction between the Father and the Son, but they coexisted together eternally. The Father proceeds from the Son. Uh, The Son is what the Father has to say. They were always together before anything else was created. Something I forgot to mention in the, in the first service is about when Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem. We know that's when, the, when the, the, the child was given to us, but the son is from eternity. If you look at Micah, Micah 5, chapter 2, one of the prophecies about Jesus, we know that Jesus was going to be, the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. But what does it say about the Messiah? whose origins are of old, whose origins in the, in the King James are from ancient times, from days of eternity. Jesus was born in the flesh and time, but he existed, he pre-existed anything that was created. Um, well, let's go on here. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. Uh, and concentrating on Colossians here, verse 16, by him all things were created. Verse 17, in him all things hold together. Hebrews 1 thing, one verse 3 says he sustains all things. It's one thing to think about God creating the world as they, as they thought in the 17th century, the deists, that God was the, the great watchmaker and he wound it up and set the world going and walked away. Well, when you think about that, that's logically inconsistent. If the universe needed to be created, 
The universe does not have the power of existence in itself. It can't sustain itself. In order for the universe to keep going moment by moment, day by day, century by century, God, Jesus, has to sustain it moment by moment. He has to hold it together. He has to sustain all things. And when you think that maybe you know, God doesn't know you or, or love you, or the hairs of your head are numbered. I wish he'd sustain my hairs a little better. But, 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 but he knows every detail of it. Why? Because he's involved with you every moment. Uh, Acts 17, the God in whom we live and move and have our being. That's, that's what the creation means. He sustains it and holds it together. You know, if God just created everything millennia ago and walked away, we wouldn't have to worry about him. But when you think about every breath you take is because God allows you to take it, it changes your perspective. It changes your perspective. Well, let's go on to say he's the, is the firstborn. And I've already skipped over what it, first, uh, what, what it meant to say firstborn over all creation. We need to understand what the phrase firstborn meant in ancient times, both for Gentile pe- persons, but also especially for Jewish people, the firstborn in a family had special rights, the f- special honors, special privileges. And that's the sense in which Paul describes Jesus as the firstborn over creation. He's in charge. He's in charge of it. Um, he's also, the verse 18, the firstborn from the dead. He's the first one who is resurrected from the dead. But there's, there's so many things to, to think about, you know, what's going to happen after we die. Is anyone worried about dying? Ah, you can be honest just because we're in church. Is anyone worried about dying? You don't know? Well, great. I'm pre- preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah. Paul says in Romans, he says, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. Uh, I, I think about J.B. Phillips' book, uh, uh, Your God is Too Small, and he says such an interesting thing about death. He says, for the Christian... Death is not so much a, a, an experience to be feared, but it's not an experience at all. And, and that's the great thing about being in Christ. We, when we, he, not only does he go to prepare a place for us, uh, we will be transformed in the, in the twinkling of an eye. Well, let's, let's go on. The firstborn from the dead, and he has the supremacy in all things. If you have the New King James, um, it ends in everything he might have the preeminence NIV ends, and everything he might have the supremacy. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He's the cre- he, reconciler of all things too. Well, we've been talking about uh, how great Jesus is. He, is. he is God in the flesh. We've gotten to see God through him. Uh, and, and if you're going to remember, you know, two years from now, what's Colossians about? Oh, yeah, it has that great chapter on Christ. First John, John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. That's where I go to read about Jesus. But the supremacy of Christ not only uh, applies, uh, you know, to the universe as a whole, but it applies to us in the church. And, and that's what we want to spend the, the last third of our, our message on this morning, moving quickly. Uh, and in your outline, uh, point C here, I talk about the supremacy of Christ in Paul's struggles. In his, his book to the Colossians, he says, I rejoice. Uh, he, he talks, he tells them that he's been suffering on their behalf. 
But his, his, he's not asking for pity for himself. He goes on to t- relate it all to the supremacy of Christ. First of all, why is he struggling? He's struggling because he's concerned about them. And who are they? They are Christ's body, the church. He's struggling because he's worried about them learning the difficulties that they're having. He's worried about them. And as he struggles, is he doing it on his own strength? No. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 29. To this end I labor, struggling with all of Christ's energy, which so powerfully works in me. If you're going to do Christian work, you have to do it with God's power working through you. If you work on your own, you're going to get exhausted. But, but, but Paul shows here Christ's supremacy in doing this work for them. And what's he struggling for? To, to proclaim to them, to preach to them, to make known to them Christ. The, the mystery of God, Christ living in you. Uh, uh, ver- Colossians 1 verse 25, I've become the servant of the church to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden, but now it's been made known. Verse 27, to you God's chosen to make known the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 2 verse 2, my purpose is that you can be encouraged, united in love, have full riches of complete understanding to know this mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, so why did he write this letter to the Colossians? Uh, the Colossians had been misled. When Epaphras came to Paul in Rome and gave his report, he said that there are teachers infiltrating the church in Colossae and they are off base because they're teaching them that they have to obey certain ascetic rules, dietary things, avoid certain uh, foods and practices. They have to celebrate certain holidays. It had something to do with the worship of angels. But worst and most insidious, it, 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 it taught that Christ was just another human being. He wasn't the divine son of God. So Paul wrote this letter to counteract that teaching. And we've already seen how he counteracted the, teach, the false teaching about Christ. But let's look on about the rest of his false teaching. Uh, in, in, in talking about this, uh, you look in the out. And the main thing he has to say, the most important verses in Colossians, we can sum up the whole book, two verses, Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7, and I've written them down for you in your outline. This is the heart of Colossians. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus and the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding with thanksgiving. Christ's supremacy is, not, is shown not only in our salvation, our justification, when we're first saved and put right with God, therefore you have received Christ, but the supremacy of Christ is also shown in our walk with God, our sanctification when we go on to Christian living. Just as you've received him, continue to walk in him. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 10 says, walk worthy. Just as Ephesians said, walk worthy. We know that the Ephesian and Colossians letter were written at the same time. And uh, we, we learned last week, you know, Ephesians is about the church, the body of Christ. Well, you can think of Colossians as about Christ, the head of the church. Well, walk worthy, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding with thanksgiving. And when, ta- Christ, when Paul talks about how you walk with Christ, he says a couple of different things. 
point two in the outline, he says, you are in Christ. And, and I'm, we're going to just hit this quickly and move on. He talks about you are in Christ and Christ is in you. That's what it means when you, when you accept Christ as your Savior. God, the, through, you can call him Christ, you can call him the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you. So as you struggle to overcome sin, you're not doing it in your own power. We're doing it with God working inside of you. Uh, and, and, and talking about God working and living, being in you, uh, point three in the outline, he puts it a different way repeatedly in Colossians. He says, you've died with Christ, and therefore you also live with Christ. He probably says it best in Galatians in one verse. Uh, in, in Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes to him, but I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And, and those are the two things to keep in mind. Christ is in you. You've died to your old way of life. You now live, you now live for Christ. You live out the Spirit living in you. And, and we're going to get to points four and five. In the outline. Point four, Christ is superior to human philosophy and false spirituality. And that was the problem that the, the Colossians were dealing with. You look at uh, uh, Colossians 2, verse 4. He says, I'm saying this to you so that... Find it here. Colossians 2, verse... I'm telling you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. I'm an attorney. I love fine-sounding arguments more than life itself. <laughs> but, but Paul says, don't be misled by fine-sounding arguments. What you need is the truth of God expressed in Christ. Verse 8, Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. I was a philosophy major in college, and so I spent four years studying different philosophers, different theories, and I thought, well, what was the Colossian philosophy? Let us know which one it is so we can avoid it. I think God in his wisdom doesn't tell us what the specific philosophy was because the answer to all of them is, is the same. Depend on Christ. Sometimes philosophers will reflect God's truth, and that's a good thing, but don't start with them. Start with the word of God. Well, how then do we live out this Christian life? And I want to get to, to point five now, this, this well-dressed Christian. You take off certain things uh, because you've died to sin, and then you put on certain things. Uh, and this is his advice for how to live, starting in verse five. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. The New King James says covetousness, which is idolatry. How many of you have a problem with idolatry? Any graven images in your mantle? You've got a, an Azra pole in your backyard? We, 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 I, you know, I've, I've, I've put in some, some verses to, to look up here, but we need to understand this is really one of the fundamental problems that we have as, as human beings. And, if, and in the Old Testament, God said, you know, Lord, to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, have no other gods before me. Uh, and you look at Romans, and in Romans chapter 1, Paul teaches, you know, everyone knows who God is. Everyone who looks at the world knows that God is real. But even though they, Romans one twenty one, they know God, 
They neither glorify him as God nor gave thanks. Verse 25, their foolish hearts became darkened and they worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. And that's the basic problem with human beings. We worship and serve created things rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Uh, You know, greed, which is idolatry. I I care about having a nice car. I care about having a nice house. I I said, you know, and I think it's okay to have nice things, but the proper response to them is to thank God for them, to thank God for the material blessings he's put in our life. But the one to be worshipped is the God who provides us with all these things. so many points, so many, so little time. <laughs> he says, he says the, the things to avoid here basically are part of your, of your sinful nature, the flesh. If, if you compare you know, Colossians 3, verse 5 to, to 14, it sounds a lot like Galatians, where, ta- where Paul talks about the acts of, of the sinful nature and then the fruit of the Spirit. And when you talk about the acts of the sinful nature, they're not just physical acts. He says, lust, evil desires, greed, because of things that are out, these things, the wrath of God is coming. Rid yourself of such things as these, anger, rage, slander. Why is that? It's not just your bad actions that are sinful, but it's also the sinful things that come out of your heart. When, when we are sinful, not just because of what we do on the outside, but because of the horrible truth of what we really are like on the inside. And that's the problem that needs to be dealt with. It's not a, a, a mind, spirit versus body distinction that, okay, you know, I can hit people or, 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 or sexual immorality is bad, but in my mind, as long as things are in my mind are okay, our fallen nature has to do with everything. What Jesus wants to do is give us a new heart, and it's out of that new heart that, that we can be changed people. Uh, so anyway, so put, what do you put on? Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Sounds like love, right? It is. It's love the fruit of the Spirit. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over all these virtues, put on love. Okay. Let's get back to the supremacy of Christ here. Verse 17, Colossians 3:17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Why do you put off these bad things, the sinful habits, the part of your sinful nature? That's Colossians 3, verse 11, because Christ is in you. He's the one we're doing it for. Why do we put on these new things? Because we're imitating the Lord Jesus. We're forgiving as the Lord forgave us. We're loving other people as the Lord, for, as, as the Lord loves us. Uh, and whatever you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. How many of you wear different hats? You, you go to work at one place and then you have a volunteer charitable job and then you go to church and you, you play good, different hats. This says do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. We don't have to be in full-time Christian ministry to serve Christ, to, to show his supremacy, but we can serve him wherever we are, whatever role we're playing, as fathers, as, as, as parents, as children, as husbands, as wives, as employers, as employees. Uh, he, and he goes on, and, and that's what you do. He's talking about wives and husbands loving each other, children and parents, slaves and masters. You get an expanded version of that in Ephesians, which he wrote at the same time. But what's the purpose of all of that? Because it's fitting in the Lord, to please the Lord. 
Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Slaves, work for your masters as if working for the Lord. Masters, take good care of your employees because you yourself serve a heavenly master. That's where in all aspects of Christian living, Christ is supreme too. Well, we've been talking about Christian living. I want to get down to the the last part of the outline, the importance of prayer. Uh, He gets to the end here. Uh, Colossians 4, verse 2, Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And I just want to mention how important it is to be thankful, to be thankful in all circumstances. You can can go through and and read the various verses in the outline, but, but thankfulness is central to Colossians. Thankfulness is central to living the Christian life. And being joyful and being thankful is a matter of what's inside of you. It's a matter of this Christ living inside of you, the supremacy of Christ. It doesn't depend on your outward circumstances. It, it, uh, Jesus put it in, in one verse in, in John 16:33. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. I mean, that sums it up. It's a fallen creation. It's a fallen humanity. There are natural disasters. People are mean. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, I've told you this so that in me, you may have peace. Okay? Uh, don't let your hearts be... Tr- I, Forget, how can I forget? Don't get old because you forget things. It's really, it's really a drag here. <laughs> it says, I have told you these things, Jesus says, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But what does he say? Take heart. The King Jesus says, be of good cheer. Paul says, rejoice. And the Lord always says, I have overcome the world. That's Christianity in a nutshell. If we look at the world, if we look at people, bad things happen, but Christ living in us helps us overcome those bad things. And what's the so what? (laughs) What's the so what? What are we going to do? Because of the supremacy of Christ, he says, if you've received Christ, do what, what Paul said to the Colossians. If you've received him, continue to live in him being full of thankfulness. But if you've not received him, what are you going to do? You need to meet him and receive him. And I'd suggest today, I mean, maybe not, don't be embarrassing. In front of, but this afternoon when you pray, get home and pray by yourself. And the one thing I would think about, if you don't really know Jesus as Savior, as, as the God of the universe, don't let other people stand between you and, and meeting this God that, that, that you really need to know. Uh, we look at other people and we think, well, uh, you know, there's, there's various examples of this, but two main ones come to mind. We all know other people who claim to be Christians and maybe aren't really very good Christians. Say, well, you know, so-and-so claims to follow Jesus, but he doesn't do a very good job. Perhaps even worse would be the imaginary person or even people we do know who haven't really had a chance to, to know Jesus in their lives and say, well, it doesn't seem, I can't really accept Jesus because I, I can imagine a, a good person who uh, maybe they live in the, in the middle of China or, or maybe in darkest Africa or, or, or wherever or maybe in, in darkest Orange County and their cultural background is such that Jesus doesn't make sense to them. How can God send them to hell if, if Jesus wasn't a live off, option for them? Well, cutting through all the details those other people, real or imagined, are other people. The issue is you. If, if you're here today, you know Christ, 
or there are important people in your life who, all, who do know him. So Jesus for you is a live option. Don't be concerned about other people. Look at your own heart and say, Lord, what am I going to do with you? Uh, I've got John 21, chapter 21, verse 22. Jesus said to Peter, uh, he asked a question about what about John? Is he going to stay? Jesus told him, what is that to you? You follow me. If you don't know Jesus, don't be thinking about other people. What is that to you? You follow Jesus, accept him and receive him today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, hopefully we've come to you with humble hearts to to see what you, the Lord God of the universe, has to say to us when you expressed yourself in in, in your son Jesus, came to earth, you died for our sins. Father, if we look at our own hearts honestly, we know that we... We do bad things, we say bad things, we think bad things. But you've promised to forgive us for that. You've you've paid the price for that on the cross. You've loved us. You've put us back in a right relationship with you. Uh, Father, as we know from from 2 Corinthians 5.21, you made your son who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, to accept the full punishment that sin deserves in order that what? That we could become the righteousness of God in him. Father, thank you for the gift of salvation in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us not only to receive it, but to live it out with grateful hearts, abounding in thanksgiving day by day. We ask this in your name. Amen.